in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read those in a minute. There is a difference between being a Christian and becoming a disciple. Unfortunately, those two truths are oftentimes confused. Many people think that they're the same, that it is the same that being a Christian and becoming a disciple is the same. They are not the same. There is a difference between being a Christian and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now there are two places at least uh, that we will look at today where that differentiation is made. The first is found in the Gospel of John, so I want you to look there first, the third chapter of the Gospel of John. And while you're turning to that chapter, let me just remind us of what is found there. It's the, story, it's the account of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night. There are many um, you know, um, opinions as to why he came at night. One is that he came because he wanted it to be in secret. Some have suggested that there are so many people to, waiting to see Jesus, that was the first time he got a chance, is in the middle of the night. But I think probably the reason he came at night was that he saw Jesus that day and it set up a yearning in him, a fire in him. He couldn't wait till morning to get to this man, that, this Jesus. And he comes to him and he says, uh, Teacher, we know that you're a man sent from God because nobody could do these things except God be with him. And Jesus, in essence, is saying, Well, we, you know, we ought to cut through that kind of stuff because he knew that uh, Nicodemus was not there for him. He was there for Nicodemus. And he says in verse 3, Jesus answered and said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this Pharisee, this ruler of the Jews, is confused by that, by that statement and he's trying to find out what this is all about. And he says in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. We need to understand what it means to be a Christian. It's to be born again, to be born from above. Now you know and I know that what that means let's just remind ourselves we get the we are we get our first birth from our mother we're born physically the first time we're born we get that birth from our parents but the second birth the new birth comes from God above and it's not the result of one keeping a, a, a list of requirements he doesn't bring uh, completion of his assignment to God that he's finished it's not of works it's not the product of his human effort it's like a gift that he receives this is new birth like if I were to hand you this New Testament you'd take it as a gift for the sinner comes to God exactly like like he's supposed to he comes as a sinner Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, is that old song. And so that birth, that's the new birth, comes to a man uh, simply because he trusts in Jesus Christ and his finished work. He believes that Jesus died and rose again, and he stakes his eternal soul upon those facts. And he's born again. He is a Christian when that happens. However... For some of us, 
Becoming a disciple is a lifelong event. Not every area of our life comes under His Lordship. Some of you may be still struggling with some things in your life that you've not yet yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And becoming a disciple is a process, and sometimes it involves woeful, painful things. Sometimes God has to break us and crush us in order that we might yield all areas of our life to Him. And so becoming a disciple is different from being a Christian. Becoming a disciple is a process that for some is a lifelong event. There's a second place where this differentiation is made, and it's in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke. I wish you'd turn that, please. The ninth chapter of the book of Luke. Now we're turning backward in Scripture from John 18, but we're moving forward in time. In other words, what is found in the ninth chapter of Luke occurs after what is found in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. In the ninth chapter of the book of Luke, these people who are with Jesus are already what we would call Christians. Now, they don't have that name because they weren't given that name until later on, but they've already made a profession of faith and are making a profession of faith. They are what we would associate with Christians. For example, in verse 20, he said to them, Jesus, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God, that word Christ is the anointed. You are Messiah. You're the one God has sent. You're the one we are to believe in and we have anticipated. You are Christ. They made a profession of faith. They are what we would call Christians. And then in verse 22 he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now what he said is, is old hat to us. I mean, we, that just flies right past us without really affecting us because we've heard that all of our life, that he was going to be crucified and that kind of thing. But when he said it to these people, it was a staggering thing. I mean, it was astounding to hear him say, this person they have just identified as the anointed Messiah was going to suffer, be crucified, raised the third day. They thought he was coming to set up an earthly kingdom, but uh, uh, restore the rule of David and establish an earthly kingdom, be king of kings, and he was going to suffer and die. It stunned them. So that to them he says, look, if anyone, now watch this, if anyone, and he's about to insert information that separates Christians from disciples. And he'll say that again. He's about to insert information that separates being a Christian from becoming a disciple. If anyone wishes to come after me. And you say, I thought they were already coming after him. They were coming. They had received the gift. They had made the profession of faith. But Jesus confronts them with something else. And he's saying that if you really want to be close to me, if you really want to know me and experience my, my life, if you really want this intimate relationship with me and this, this level that is, you know, 
unique to others, if you want to do that, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now I want to give you a definition of a disciple. These in discipleship class, they've already gotten a definition. Let me give you my definition of a disciple. A disciple is a believer whose commitment has grown unto a deep desire to obey regardless of the outcome. A believer whose desire to obey, his commitment has grown to a desire to obey regardless of the outcome. Now, are you a Christian? That's one question. Are you a disciple is another. That is, has your commitment grown to the place where there is this burning desire to obey Jesus Christ regardless of what that cost? Let's specify what he said. You say, yes, I have. Well, let's see. Let's put it to a test. Here it is. Deny yourself. Now that word means to refuse. It means to choose against the self. It means to disown. To disown the right to your own will. Oh man. Now we're getting into what separates the, the Christian from the disciple. It is a commitment that disowns his own will, abandons himself to another. It means that he dethrones himself and enthrones Jesus Christ. That's what is deny oneself. Take up the cross. Now the cross was an instrument of death. We have beautified the cross. We put it on Bibles. We wear it around our necks gold, on gold chains. We beautify the cross. It was a bloody thing, an instrument of death. So if you saw someone carrying a cross down the street, you knew that death was imminently before him daily. Take up his cross daily. Some days it's easier to achieve than others this discipleship. And follow me, he's saying. It means to obey him. It means to emulate him. Now, this appeal to discipleship is an appeal that only a believer understands. Now, I think sometimes we talk to lost people and we read this verse of Scripture. And we say to lost people, if you'll come after Jesus, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. To the lost person, that has no appeal at all. To a believer, it has appeal, but very, you know, it's, it's not the most appealing thing. But an unbeliever has no concept of what that means at all. So this appeal is an appeal to believers. Take up your cross daily, follow me. Not long ago, I, I, I uh, picked up a newspaper and I, I read a, a, an account of a man who uh, did something I, absolutely beyond my comprehension, but I, you know, you've got to do anything, I guess, in certain situations. But he was in an accident, and his, you, you remember they got his leg caught under a log of you know, some sort, and he took out a knife and cut off his own leg. Now, that'll, that's a nice thing to think about. I mean, just cut that leg, cut his leg off. And I saw him the other day. They interviewed him, and um, 
you know, uh, he talked about that and, uh, a little bit. Um, I suppose that, you know, uh, no matter of life and death, just whip out a knife and whack it, whack that leg off. Listen to me. A believer is a, a, a disciple is a believer who's come to the place where he can say, God, give me the courage to literally cut out of my life that indulgence that clouds my view of you. And give me the courage to cut from my life that doubt that saps my strength and that disobedience that causes my doubt. And Lord, if it means taking a leg, cut it off. If it means taking an eye, pluck it out. I've come to the place in my life where I desire you more than anything else. That's a disciple. Now, John 18, verse 1. This, is the, this, this uh, account in the Gospel of John takes place at the most awful hour of the life of Jesus. The supper is over. This, in, this fellowship with his disciples now is over. The discourse is finished. Judas is left. Jesus has prayed that long prayer that's recorded in the 17th chapter of John. He's prayed for his disciples. And they get up and they leave this room, this upper room, and they head toward the garden of Gethsemane. The scripture says that as they went forth with, as he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron. Now I want to I insert something that's not here, but historically is. Between the upper room, that area of Jerusalem, and the Garden of Gethsemane, you cross the Kidron Valley, you cross the ravine, he calls it, of the Kidron. There's a little brook that flows through the ravine of the Kidron. It's the brook Kidron. This was the time of the Passover, and every Jew came to Jerusalem for the Passover, and every Jew brought his sacrifice to the temple. One historian says that in the time of Jesus, as many as 52,000 sacrifices were made on Passover, at the Passover. And at the, in the position of the temple, they had these little trenches that ran from the, from the altar down through the temple and out to the brook Kidron, so that the blood that was splashed upon the altar was caught in these trenches and flowed out into the Kidron and flowed down the river. As Jesus passed over, passed through the Kidron Valley, he must have seen that river flowing in blood, reminded him that soon the Lamb of God would be slain. And he's on his way out to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, and his disciples are with him. This is true humanity here. Jesus is perfectly divine, but perfectly human, and he's about to experience more anguish than he could bear. Now, with your hand on, on John 14, I want you to turn to Matthew 26 right quickly. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 36, familiar verses of Scripture. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane 
and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go there and pray. Verse 36 of 26. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly grieved to the point of death. My sorrow is such that I think I'm going to die. Remain here and, and keep watch with me. He went a little bit beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. You know, he goes back, finds his disciples asleep. Look at verse 42. My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. Don't let me go through this. Don't let me experience this. And he was deeply distressed. He had seen the brook. This is the position of true humanity. And he comes in this moment in time, this model of one who was absolutely obedient to the Father to say as he struggled in this hour, thy will be done. I want your will, whatever it is. Remember, there's a difference between being a Christian and becoming a disciple. A disciple is a man, a woman, a child who comes to the place where he can say it and mean it. I want your will for my life more than I want anything else. I surrender my will to yours, whatever it is. And sometimes that process takes a lifetime getting there. If you ever get a chance to read the book, read the book, A Tale of Three Kings. You need to get that book. It's a little bitty book. A Tale of Three Kings written by, by a man named Edwards. And in this book, he talks about how one must come through brokenness, being crushed to the point where nothing else matters except the Father's will, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And so Jesus is praying that. Now, back to John 18, verse 3. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and others from the chief, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Seems kind of ironical, doesn't it? Coming out to arrest this Nazarene that didn't even have a where to lay his head, and they're bringing lanterns and torches and weapons. Why? Because they knew that this was a false arrest, and they expected a battle. They expected resistance. They expected him to run. It's what you and I would have done. They didn't really understand that he had already been in the battle in Gethsemane and he'd already come to that place of surrender. That's what the little book, Tale of Three Kings, is about. Is that there is nothing in your life that God can really claim until you come through brokenness to total surrender. Now, Peter hadn't drunk deep enough from the cup yet. He has a little sicari in his, in his uh, sleeve. And he whips it out and takes a shot at Malchus, cuts off his ear, and Jesus is, you know, rebukes him, you know, how that goes. And I want you to notice quickly verse 11. Jesus therefore said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. 
the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Now I want to pose that question now in the conclusion of this. The cup that the Father has given you, shall you not drink it? It's a question about the Father's purpose. And it sometimes involves sacrifice, humiliation, and even death. Shall I not drink the Father's cup? That's the question. Now, there are three lessons that go along with this. I want to give you these first. Number one. For every disciple, there is a purpose to be fulfilled. Different one for each of us. A mission, different for everybody. A particular mandate. For every disciple, there is a purpose for us. For every disciple, different one, a particular mandate. God has a special purpose for you. You didn't... It's not something you choose. It's something He chooses for you. I happen to believe that God chose me for the ministry. I didn't choose it. I, I, I was going to be a, I'd have probably been a Super Bowl today if I'd have had my choice. I, I was going to be a coach. God has a different plan. He has a different plan for everybody. It's what He chooses for us. Bonar, the 18th century poet, put it like this. I dare not choose my lot. I would not if I might. Choose thou for me, O God, so shall I walk aright. The kingdom that I seek is thine, so let the way that leads to it be thine, else I must surely stray. Take thou my cup, and it with joy or sorrow fill, and best to thee may seem as best to thee may seem, choose thou my good or ill. Not mine, not mine the choice in things of great or small. Be thou my guide, my strength, my wisdom, and my all. It's up to you, Lord, what you want for my life. Second, with every purpose, there is a cup to be drunk. This is the downside. We assume that if God gives us a mission, that that mission will be accomplished with very little sacrifice. Wrong again, Sam. In fact, when he called Jeremiah to the ministry, he said, you're going to go and you're going to preach and nobody's going to listen. Not a very encouraging word. With every purpose, there's a cup to be drunk. It requires a cross and death and pain and suffering sometimes. Number three. In every cup, there is a pain, there is pain to be endured. It may be physical, it may be emotional, it may mean loss of reputation, it may be heartache, it may be that you sacrifice popularity and friendship. Number four. For every purpose, there is a victory to be claimed. For every purpose, there's a victory to be claimed. God's way is going to win out. That's the idea. 
There's going to be a cross. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to be raised the third day. On January 3, 1993, the most remarkable comeback in the history of National League football, the history of football, occurred. The Houston Oilers were playing, was playing, uh, the Houston Oilers were playing the, the uh, Buffalo Bills, and the Buffalo Bills uh, were behind the Houston Oilers 28 to 3 at the half. Everybody at the half was talking about, you know, where Houston would play next week and all that. Somebody reminded, now there could be a comeback, but nobody believed it. And they thought less of, of the possibility of it when in the second minute of the second half, Bubba, Oda Bubba uh, McDowell intercepted a pass and ran it back 56 yards. Now the game is 35-3 to in favor of Houston. At the end of that game, it was tied. And Houston and, and Buffalo had made up a 32-point deficit, tied the game, and won the game with a, with a field goal in overtime. Sometimes victory seems like wishful thinking. When a person gives his life to Jesus Christ, somewhere on the timeline of his life he can count on victory because that's the promise of God let's pray together our father we pray that we'll be more than just Christians but we'll be disciples men and women young people who desire to know you and obey you regardless of the cost for I ask this in Jesus name you never know what happens in invitation. This morning, give an invitation, and heaven comes down. Maybe there's some of you tonight who would like to make a decision. You, you, you wanted to this morning, didn't have the courage. Whatever God leads you to do, commitment he leads you to make, this is the, this is the theme. Lord, your will be done. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.